that defense wins championships. And the 1985 Bears will go down as, if not one of the best, if not the best defense to ever play the game. And, and I was just looking up some of the scores from that year. And uh, the only team they lost to, they went 15-1, and and the only team they lost to were the Miami Dolphins. But they get into the playoffs. Let me just pull that up. They get into the playoffs, and, and they... They beat the Giants 21-0. They beat another team 40 to nothing. 20, oh, it's 21-0, 24-nothing. And then they played the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl and they won 46 to 10. And growing up, I, I, I remember hearing about all these defensive teams, whether it's the purple people eaters of the Minnesota Vikings or Gang Green of the Eagles with Reggie White, or you have uh, the Steel Curtain with the Pittsburgh Steelers and all these defenses. And, and as you watch football in almost any sport, defense is crucial. If you have a weak defense, most likely you're not going to win. And if you do win, you're lucky. I know that because I'm a Jags fan. Um, but even in the 2017 year, the Jaguars went to the playoffs. They had a great defense and a horrible offense. But just like defense is key to sports, what I want to talk about today is that defense is our, is our key to success. It's our key to winning. It's our key to, to victory. Because here's the reality. When teams go up against each other, they're not going up against individual players. They're going up against schemes, whether it's an offensive scheme or a defensive scheme. And so all week, they prepare as they watch video of the receivers and the running back, and they watch video of plays, and they watch video of, of how defenses line up. And when it comes to our Christian faith, here's the reality. We're in a battle, but the battle is not against humans. Our battle is against something greater, something unseen. And just like uh, sports need great defenses, what I want to talk about is the fact that we need great defenses as well. And then within that, we have to remember the one thing that God is continually reminding me lately is that the battle doesn't belong to us. It's actually not our battle. I love what 2 Chronicles 20.15 says, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. And if the battle is not ours, why is it that as Christians we get caught up in attacking? Why is it that we get caught up with everything that is happening? We're in a day and age where the enemy is shooting these arrow darts straight at us, and he's winning. Because when I look at Facebook and I see uh, believers, and I'm included in this because I fell, fall short of this as well. We see uh, people attacking the other side because they're Democrats or Republicans. We see um, all this social unrest and one side attacking another. We've seen um, even this whole mask debacle. We've seen people attacking each other as if they are the enemy. And the reality is, is they're not the enemy. Because within this, what we're seeing is that the devil is getting his way by causing disunity. As believers, we need to step up 
And we need to pay attention to that. And, and I love it because even Jerry, you, you talk a couple times how you're coming to, to Awana and you're just like, the devil is attacking me today. And you recognize that the battle is not against people, but against a scheme that's more powerful than anything we could even think of. The enemy has a scheme and, and, and he's trying to He's trying to bring us down. He's trying to defeat us. And so if the battle is not ours, what are we to do? What is God's desire of us as the light defeats the darkness? Here's our calling, and this is exactly what we're going to talk about in Ephesians 6 today. We are to put on Jesus. Because if the battle is Jesus's and we put on Jesus, well, then we're walking in the true identity of who we are. And so the only way to win this battle is to prepare hard. And so this morning, let's open up to Ephesians 6, and we're going to talk about um, the armor of God today. Because now more than ever, some of you guys may be thinking, I know this armor, I, I've talked about it, I've heard about it, but there's always a great time for a reminder especially now in the day and age we're in. And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Ephesians 6. And it's going to be on the screen as well. And we're going to start off reading Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. And it says this, and I'm reading, it's the NLT on the, on the board, and I'm reading from the NLT. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Lord, as we begin reading this morning, Father, I am just asking that you would fill me, Jesus, with your spirit today. God, empower the words that come out of my mouth to be that of you. God, I pray that you would get the glory this morning. And, and God, may, may we reflect you in all that we do and say today. And so, Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the beginning in verse 10. And I love, if you've ever read the book of Ephesians, I, I just love the book of Ephesians. Because Paul spends the first half of Ephesians talking about our identity and who we are in Jesus. That we're made alive that we are one with Christ, that we are one with each other. And he revealed this great mysterious plan of Jesus and that everything comes through Christ. And then he, he talks about the importance of how we are to live. We are to live in unity. We are to live as children of the light. We are to live by the Spirit's power. And then he goes on and talks about relationships uh, spiritual relationships, um, talks about relationship with husbands and wives and how we are to reflect Jesus in that. And he talks about children and parents and how children, we are to obey our parents because it reflects Christ. And, and, and fathers and wives, we are to encourage and, and lead our children well. And then it talks about uh, slaves and masters and how slaves are to be obedient to their masters and masters are to respect their slaves. And in all of this, he gets to Ephesians 6, verse 10. And of any great letter, there's always, hey, here's a final reminder, here's a final word. As if he's giving one great last speech. And he says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
And I love this because he's taken focus off ourselves and putting it on Jesus. He's taken focus off uh, of our, um, our individualistic mindset, our, our mentality of it's all about me and I can do it. And he says, no, you can't. Be strong in the Lord. And what I love about this, this tense of be strong is that it's present tense, which means that it's ongoing. It's not something that we just do once and, and, and we, 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 we once are strong in the Lord and we just continue to go. But the reminder is Paul is saying, continually be strong in the Lord. Continually humble yourselves and recognize that we are weak without Jesus. And he says, how do we do this? How are we to be strong in the Lord? And in that, he's reminding us that we need to be empowered by the Spirit continually. Because it's when we walk in the empowerment of the Spirit that darkness quivers. If we walk in our own power, Satan is just laughing. He's like, I got you. I got you exactly where I want you. Because you think you can do this on your own. This isn't something that we do. Because here's the thing, it's something that is being done to us. And so what are we to do? Verse 11 says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. With anything, when we look at a picture, typically most of us, we watch football on Saturday with college or football on Sunday. We typically only see the tip of the top of the iceberg. We don't see the preparation that happens underneath the waters that allows them to get to Saturday, to get to Sunday, and to prepare. And Paul is reminding them to prepare for the battle. And he says, put on the armor of God, because our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against something that even by ourselves we cannot overcome. We can't overcome the powers of darkness and so ultimately, the fight has nothing to do with our ability to overcome. It's about the Lord's power in us. So how strong you are is irrelevant. In fact, your strength can become a liability in spiritual warfare. This is from J.D. Greer. Because those places where you feel strong are the places you are most likely to forget you need dependence on God. In fact, if you feel weak and unqualified to engage in the spiritual realm, that's a good thing. Because you're more likely to lean on God's power than someone who feels strong. Listen, if dependence is the objective, weakness becomes an advantage. Beware your strengths, not your weaknesses. Because your strengths are those places you're most likely to forget God. When we think that we're strong enough, and we think we have it, it's in those moments that Satan loves to attack. Because we, we take our focus off of God and we put it on ourselves. And we need to remember that in order to succeed, we need total dependence on God. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. The enemy will not see you vanish into God's company without an effort to reclaim you. Satan is going to kick and scream. He's going to pull you down. He's going to try to take you away from your focus on Jesus to put it on yourselves in the world. And what, what I'm seeing in society and even among us is that we've taken our focus off of Jesus and we've put it onto a focus of, of things like politics and, and COVID and all these things. And Jesus is like, no, pay attention to me. Focus on me. And so how are you doing? How are you standing strong? 
What I love about the armor of God that is essentially everything that Christians are putting on are metaphors which depict Christ's nature and character. And here's the thing. This armor of God's speech was not meant for individuals. It was meant for the whole church. And so as a church, we are addressing all of us together. Though all could connect to individuals, that was meant for the whole body of Christ in Ephesus. This holistic, we cannot survive as a church unless we continually put on the armor of God collectively. If one of us is weak, we're all weak. Because that is the weakest link, and Satan's going to find that, and he's going to get in, and he's going to disrupt. And so putting on the pieces is how we accomplish his command to become strong. And so let's briefly talk about these truths, because it's a reminder for us today. And so let's continue in our passage. And so he says this, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. It doesn't say to attack, it says to put on the armor and resist. And so starting in verse 14, it says this, it says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on peace that comes from the good news that you will be able fully prepared in addition to all these hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil and put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and so paul starts off and he says put on the belt of truth and i love paul because he uses imagery from what the romans and all them are, are familiar with and he talks about the body of the roman art army and he says to put on this belt of truth and this belt wasn't just some flimsy belt that i have on right now this belt was massive it, it went everywhere it went under the groin and around the back and this belt held everything in place and it protect your lower region and why does paul start off talking about truth because here's the thing the enemy Scripture says is the father of lies. If you look at the first attack that the enemy did on humanity was what? It was deception. He attacked Adam and Eve with deception, with lies. And so Paul is telling us and encouraging the church to put on the belt of truth, to stand upon truth. Well, what is truth? The word of God. Jesus says, talking to his father, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Paul is encouraging to put on truth, to stand upon the true word of God. This is truth, and this is where our focus should be. Our focus shouldn't be on CNN or Fox or NBC. In the reality, our focus, our truth should ultimately come from Scripture. Our, our, our entire being, our, our world, our lives is be so saturated with God's word that everything that comes out is truth and points people to the truth. This means that we need to be faithfully spending time more so in God's word than watching the news or on Facebook. But of course, everything's true on Facebook, right? I mean, that... If you want to know something true, just go to Facebook and you're going to find out all this truth from both sides of the spectrum of everything that is happening. 
But in the end, what truth matters the most? And that is Scripture. See, the truth that Paul desires to speak of in God's truth is the gospel and our response to living that out in our lives. And so the question for us is, are we walking the truth that Jesus lived out and spoke? Because here's the reality. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. In the end, we should be putting on Jesus. Are we devoted to the word of God? Are we giving it the priority that God's word deserves in our life? Because if we're not, then everything else following is not going to be rightfully in place. Because first and foremost, we need to believe that what Jesus said was true. And if we believe it to be true, then everything else is going to apply to our lives. And so Paul goes on and he says this, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Here's the thing, it doesn't say put on the breastplate of Mike's righteousness or Ian's righteousness. It says to put on the breastplate of righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. So we are all infected and pure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. The fact that if we stand upon it and we're proud of all that we do, Jesus still says that that is filthy rags, that that is disgusting, because our hope should not be on what we do. Our hope should be on what Christ has done for us. And I love what 2 Corinthians says, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the amazing thing, that when we put off our old nature, our righteous deeds, our sin, our flesh, everything else, Jesus says that when you accept me as your Lord and Savior, my righteousness becomes your righteousness. That you are covered by my blood. And that is exactly how we should be walking. We should be walking in the mentality that is Christ who works in and through us. That it's not our deeds, it's not what we do. We should never be proud of our own accomplishments if Christ is not at the center of that. And here's the thing about this breastplate of righteousness is that it covers, it covers all of your, your internal organs. It covers the whole front. The armies had to put this on to be able to protect their most important organs, which one is the heart. And Proverbs says, above all else, protect the heart. We cannot overcome the attack of the devil if we are living in our own righteousness. So the question we need to ask ourselves every single day is, are we living in our own works? Are we living because of what Christ has done for us? This pertains to our everyday lives, including social media. What we post on social media is a direct representation of a big part of who we are. Because here's the reality, social media is strong. And if we're going to spend our time posting political arguments and political posts and, and that we support this president and we support this president, I better, we better be seeing it as a nation and even human beings better be seeing Jesus displayed as well. Because people look at your social media and unfortunately, yes, they, they do create a, a judgment of who you are by what you post. And if all we post is Jesus, all they're going to see is Jesus. This doesn't mean that everything we post should be that, but majority of it should. 
And the thing about this armor is that not only is it righteousness, but then the armor, the breastplate is secure by the belt of truth. And if the truth is light and loose, your breastplate is going to be loose, which is going to leave gaps. And Satan loves gaps. That's the exact way. Remember, Jason used to talk about how this door either is fully shut and fully guarded or it's slightly open and the devil can get in. And that's exactly why Paul says, make sure that what we put on is Jesus with no gaps. If we are living out as disciples, a disciple is one who hears the word of God and is obedient to it, who follows Jesus, right? And so if we're obedient to God and we are fully focused on him, then there's nowhere the Satan can penetrate. And so my question for you is this. As we surrender to Jesus, is there any areas of our lives that need fully surrendered to God? Is there any areas right now that you're like, you know what, I haven't given this over to Jesus yet? And if that's an area, my encouragement for you is to say, Lord, help me to surrender. And so he goes on from righteousness and he says, put on shoes of the gospel of peace. These shoes that these Roman soldiers wore were shoes that had spikes on it so that way they could dig in the ground and they can press forward and press forward. And if they're getting attacked, they can hold their ground. And Paul says to put on these pieces of the gospel of peace. These shoes are about gospel advancement, not only for uh, our, our society, but even for ourselves. And see, Jesus says that he was the Prince of Peace. Jesus' desire was to come and bring peace. His desire wasn't to come bring disorder and chaos and all these things. He desired to come bring peace, which is why every time that he engaged people who, who were broken, he didn't chastise them. He didn't put them down. His first words to them after getting to know them is that you are forgiven. Forgiveness brings peace. And so is there anywhere in our lives that, that we need to forgive? Is there anywhere in our lives that we recognize that we need to forgive in order to bring about peace in relationships, peace in society? Because with all the unrest that is happening, the last thing that this world needs is for Christians to attack each other. We need to stand up and bring about peace. Not only that, some translations talk about the readiness. Because <laughs> First Peter says, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in gentle and respectful ways. To bring about peace, not only are we to be ready to share the hope that we have, but we need to do it with gentleness and respect and care. The last thing that this world needs is for us to shove the Bible down people's throats. The thing that this world needs is grace and mercy that only Jesus can give. So readiness, while it means proclaim the good news of Jesus, means that we are always to be alert and ready. And so the question for us is, are we agents of love, peace, and are we constantly ready to do the will of God in our lives? Romans 10, 15 says, And how should I preach unless they are sent? It is written, How beautiful are the peace of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things.
And every time I see this, I, I think of, of people like Jason who are trying to bring peace to chaos in, in soldiers and in their lives. And I think of Kyle and Caitlin who, who are going to do amazing things. Or even I think of, of those who came last week and, and what is happening in North Africa. But all of us are called to bring that same exact peace to the people that surround us. The shield of faith. So to be honest, when, when, when early on, when, I, when growing up and I heard this shield of faith, I thought it was one of those small like Captain America shields. You know, those, those little things that you watch. And somehow he's able to deflect everything off of that little shield. But the reality is, is that the shield that these Romans were, were holding were four feet tall and two and a half feet wide. These were big shields. And the, the reason for this shield was totally to hide behind. See, here's the thing. Scripture says that Satan is shooting these arrows off and they're lit with fire and, and these shields and the shield of faith is the only thing that's going to protect us. See, Satan is shooting lives. But here's the thing. We cannot overcome his lies with logic from humanity. We can only overcome them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these soldiers, they would link shields. If there's a, an aerial attack, they would link shields, and some would go down, and some would go over top, and, and they would we'd stand there until the, the arrows are done. And so the question for you is, is, who are you hiding behind? Are you hiding behind yourself? Are you, are you trying to progress, and you're hiding behind yourself, thinking that's going to protect you? Are you standing upon what Jesus Christ says about you? And Paul, I mean, he, he talks so much about identity and this idea of shield of faith is what? It's confidence in the things that we don't see, right? It's trusting that what God says is true and walking with it regardless of what is happening. And so are you standing upon the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you standing upon the fact that you are redeemed, that you are chosen, that you are a child of God? Because Satan's going to shoot these arrows and says that you are not worth it that you were unworthy, that you aren't chosen, that you messed up and so you're technically not a child of God. And Jesus is like, no, stand upon me. Stand behind me. Have faith. And these shields would be dipped in water to quench the fiery darts. And so is our faith dipped in the living water of Jesus? Is our faith dipped in who Jesus says about us? He's just sitting there ready to launch these arrows at you. And he wants to cause division within yourself. He wants to cause division within the body of Christ. Which means that these, right now than ever, we see that Satan is trying to hit hard. Because here's the reality. Every day we wake up is the closer Jesus returns. And Satan does not want to see more people come to know Jesus. And so he's going to keep shooting them. The first line of defense, are we hiding behind Jesus? Faith is the confidence that what we hope will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. We go into society and people ask us, what's going to happen? And sometimes our response is, I don't know, but God promises. God says to take heart that, that you're going to have experience in life that's going to come at you, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And in the end, it doesn't matter what happens in this lifetime because we get to spend eternity with Jesus for everyone who believes that Jesus died and rose again for them. 
And so are we walking in that faith, knowing that Jesus someday is going to return and it's going to be glorious? The helmet of salvation. I wish I had a helmet with like the fur over top. So the helmet of salvation was, was, was most likely the first thing that even the enemy saw. The majority of the soldiers wore these helmets and they were the first thing that stood out. And it was a form of confidence and assurance and protection of our minds and our head. And Paul is saying to put on the helmet of salvation. So not only are we to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but then we are to put that on. And our thoughts should be led through that. Everything we think about should be led through the fact that Jesus died and rose again for us. And now we are a child of God. We are to saturate our minds on the truth of the gospel. To let the words of Christ permeate our minds. We are to be in God's word daily, reflecting upon him. And it's these words that should alter and, and, and transform the way we think. Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. We have this assurance that when Christ saves us, we are no longer to spend eternity away from Jesus and face his wrath. And Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are you allowing to renew your mind? What are you looking at that saturates what you think? Because here's the thing, and I've, I've experienced this, is that the more we look at what people say on Facebook and the more we look at news and all these things, what actually happens is that we get depressed and we get anxious and we get worried and we begin to think, oh my gosh, maybe I need to think what he thinks. And Jesus is like, no, you have my helmet on. You have my salvation. Think things of Christ. And I love what J. J.D. Greer and his devotionals say. And, and this is a mentality. Every day he wakes up, he says this. He wakes up and he says, because I am in Christ, there's nothing I do that will make God love me anymore. And there's nothing I could do that will make God love me any less. Is your mentality on God's grace? Are you thinking what God says about you? Or are you looking at what people are saying and you're getting depressed and you're getting anxious and it's starting to alter the way you think and it's starting to actually pull you away from Jesus? To be honest, even with me, is there's people on Facebook I didn't unfriend, but I had to unfollow because the things that they were posting were actually causing um, unhealthy emotion. And I had to realize that that was unhealthy for me. And so I began to unfollow certain people because I'm just like, I, I don't want to unfriend you because I still love you and I still think you're amazing, but I, but I had to take my eyes off what was being posted. And when I think about this helmet, I mean, Chloe and I love to ride bikes. I have my bike and she has her chariot that's attached to my bike. And every day we walk in the garage to go for a bike ride, she picks up my helmet and she tells me to put it on. And so if we are to continually stand strong in the Lord, then we need to continually put on this helmet of salvation every single day. And we need to continually remind ourselves of who we are in Jesus. There's something about a helmet that you put it on, you're riding a bike, that makes you feel safer. At least for me, it does. 
What I love about salvation is that it's the assurance of protection, right? You accept Jesus, you are protected from hell. But here's the thing about Scripture, is that Scripture says that you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Salvation is progressive, because there's salvation, there's justification, and then there's sanctification where you are being made into the image of Jesus. And then there's glorification, the day that we get to spend eternity with Jesus with a new body, new mind, new everything. Are we continually reminding ourselves of that every single day? And the sword of the Spirit. Here's the thing about the sword of the Spirit. Everything else was the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. The sword is the only thing that is not identified with an object. It is identified with a person. And that person is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit. And so the sword of the Spirit empowers the Word of God, right? The sword, the Spirit empowers the Word of God, and the sword is the Word of God. It is every word that the Spirit inspires. And so that could mean this written word of God that God has inspired. And this is empowered by Scripture because by itself, these are just words on paper. But with the Spirit, these words are life. They come alive in our lives. They challenge us. They pierce us. And we all know Hebrews 4.12, this is, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than any Two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This sword, which, which is technically the only offensive weapon that we have on this, on this armor. And when I thought of the sword of the spirit, man, I thought it was one of these like, big things that you pick up like King David did to Goliath. And the reality is, is that the sword this armor guy has, it's short, but it's sharp. And it cuts away all that needs to be cut away. And so what word are we picking up? Are we picking up the word of God that is empowered by the Spirit? And are we are living in this? See, Jesus himself knew that the only way to, to accomplish, to successfully overcome Satan's lies is with the word of God. He spoke scripture to Satan. And if Jesus himself spoke scripture, how much more should we do the same exact thing? What I love about Awana is that we are teaching our kids the importance of memorizing scripture, the importance of what it means that when the enemy attacks, they can speak scripture to the lies that Satan's trying to get them. And this doesn't just mean the Bible. It means the gospel message as a whole. Right? Because God, the Spirit, speaks even through people, right? And, and, and all of that is powerful. But here's the thing in the Scripture. It doesn't say take the sword of the Spirit and attack. It says it cuts us. It, it looks into our innermost thoughts. It looks into who we are and transforms us. And so the more that we're in Scripture and the more that we allow the, allow the empowered Word of God to permeate us, the more that we are going to be pruned to be more like Jesus. I can't express the importance of listening to God speak and saying, Lord, speak to me. It shouldn't be, okay, Lord, how are, am I to live? What it should be is that you, our, our prayer should be, Lord, take scripture to transform me. 
I pray, Father, that this scripture would transform me. It shouldn't be, okay, how am I to live? Let's see. Hmm. Which is great, right? This is, this is a guide, right? We, we can understand the will of God by looking. But our prayer shouldn't be just to read. Our prayer should be to be transformed by what we're reading. And I love the beginning of John. This is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This living Word of God is Jesus himself. Are we picking up Jesus, and are we continually walking in that? And so Paul gives these lists. But then he says this. Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayer for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jesus and Gentiles alike. I love that he saves this for last because I fully 100% believe that our calling, our action step after putting on the armor of God is to stay put and pray. I, I, I think of, of, of prayer kind of being what fully empowers the whole armor of God. I feel like it, it's what turns the armor of God on, kind of like Iron Man, right? He has all these pieces, but it's his... I totally blanked on the word. Ian, what's, what's his device again? The, the reactor, right? But that's what powers him, right? And, and, and I believe that that's what prayer does. And I'm not saying that the prayer like, hey, Lord, I, I pray for this person and I pray for that person, which is great. But Paul is not saying that. What Paul is saying is that we are to pray in the Spirit, we are to pray. What, every, what makes everything spiritual isn't anything of ourselves. But what makes our, our walk uh, spirit-focused and spirit-led is that when, we, when we're praying on our hands and knees and we are recognizing our insufficiency and how much we need God, prayer should permeate our entire being. This pastor in Florida says this, prayer is our Christian duty. It is an expression of submission to God and dependence upon him. For that matter, prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence upon God. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. Prayer must be our primary focus in life. Man, I was at district conference and Ian was there and Jeff Doringer asked, how much is prayer, what percentage of prayer is your Christian walk guided by? And I even thought to myself and I'm like, Lord, not much. Way less than where it probably should be. And Jeff Doringer, talking to him, he says, if a church hires me, right? If a church puts leaders in place, my, my calling is to go before the throne of God for the people of this church. And as pastors and as elders, if we are not spending more time in prayer over our church, then whose power are we relying on? Exodus 14 says, the Lord himself would fight for you. Just stay calm. 
Praying in the Spirit is what empowers us to live every day for Jesus. Praying in the Spirit is about being aware of God's magnificent grace in our lives. It is being sensitive to what the Spirit wants to do in you, through you, and around you. Praying in the Spirit means being receptive to his transforming work in our lives. It is about allowing him full access to our entire being. It's about recognizing our inability to pray. It's being aware of our communion with God. And it's asking the Spirit to guide our prayers. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I recognize that I don't pray in the Spirit as much as I should. And I'm not talking about these, these quick prayers. I don't think Paul here is talking about quick prayers or, or you bring a, 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 like this list to a, a prayer meeting and you just pray over it, which is great. But I think Paul's going deeper here. I think Paul is commanding and encouraging and challenging us to go deeper into prayer and allow the Spirit to guide everything that we pray about. See, true prayer is a comprehensive activity involving a variety of modes from praise to lament, from confession to obedience, and from contemplation to intercession. It's taken from a commentary I read. Praying in the Spirit is not about a wish list. Praying in the Spirit is just, is just focusing on Jesus and whatever he calls us to pray about, we pray about. And, and I believe as a church, now more than ever, we need to be praying. Not only did COVID hit, and look around, COVID affected a lot of people in our church. There's a lot of people who aren't here And not only that, but we have a lead pastor transition. And within all these things that are happening, there's chaos that's bound to happen. And Satan is just looking for that opportunity to shoot a dart, which causes disunity within our body. And so as a church, I am calling us to spend time in prayer. As elders, I am challenging us to spend time, whether it's during the meeting, whether it's separate, to, to just spend time praying. I'm challenging our board. But we have, in our elder meeting, in our board meeting, we have, we, have to, to, we have to plan, we have to talk, we have to process. But I believe more than ever, we need to be more in prayer. We need to spend time more in prayer than we ever have. Because Satan is just chomping at the bit to just shoot darts at us. And when we are centered upon prayer and we have the armor of God on, we can withstand anything the devil puts at us. And see, here's, here's what I encourage us, and, I, and I'm not saying that more prayer fixes it. Because prayerlessness isn't fixed by us just ramping up our discipline to pray. Or beating ourselves up that we don't pray enough. In order to fix prayerlessness, we need to believe more in the gospel and its power than ever before. In order to fix prayerlessness, in order to pray in the Spirit, we need to stand upon the truth of Scripture. We need to stand upon the good news of Jesus, and we need to realize that it's Spirit that empowers, not us. But here's the thing. In order for all this to happen, we need to desire to be closer to Jesus. 
we must seek a closer relationship with Christ himself. We need to desire filling of the Spirit because filling of the Spirit isn't just something that happens. It's something that we allow to happen. We need to be willing to allow the Spirit to fill us. And if you're just here and you're just watching or you just go to search to seek a comfortable religion, you are not seeking true Christianity. Because Christianity is ugly and it's hard. Because those true believers, see, Satan isn't, doesn't really worry about those that just come to church and sit here and leave. He's worried about those that desire to do something, that desire to proclaim Jesus, that desire to talk about the good news of Jesus. See, we're not meant to be lazy in a battle against the unseen. The choice we make either reflects our relationship with Jesus or reflects sin. And here's the thing. We could talk about it all day, right? As a nation, when you're talking about defense, right? We're talking about building a bigger wall to defend, to protect. But here's the thing. If we, we put fences around our yards, we lock our doors, we lock our cars, but yet we're, we're more worried about that than we actually are about the, the, the barrier around ourselves as Christians. We need to stand up and take our defense serious. Because Satan is attacking, and it's come in our schools, it's come through music and movies, it's in our justice system, it's in our churches. Satan is just running rampant, and it's time for us to wake up and take a stand. As believers, we cannot allow Satan to take over this world any longer. And I'm not saying that we be militant about it. This doesn't give us the freedom to attack the other side. It doesn't give us the freedom to attack somebody that has different beliefs than us. Because our battle is not against humans. It's against the enemy. Our response of that the other side should be that of listening, grace, and peace. Spiritual warfare is real, people. It's real, and it's happening. And we're not pushing to forward to capture the flag of the enemy. We're called to stand our ground against enemy attacks. Our armor is protective. And so every day you wake up and you're looking at this armor of God and, and, and scripture says to continually put on and you're going through it and you're like, okay, Lord, help me to put on the helmet of salvation. Help me to take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and the breastplate of righteousness. God, help me to stand upon your truth and put on the belt of truth. And you're kind of looking through and Sometimes, if you're ever like me, right, you go on vacation, and you get there, and you're just like, I'm forgetting something. What am I forgetting? Kind of like, Be forgetting. 
So he's at home, he's sledding down. I'm just gonna finish this video. he can. Your phones are still out of order. We'll call as soon as we land, Kate. I'm sure everything's okay. Horrible. Horrible. Just horrible. How could we do this? You forgot him. We didn't forget him. We just miscounted. What kind of mother am I? Makes you feel any better. I forgot my reading classes. <laughs> so... So just like she forgot something very important, she forgot her son. Paul is finalizing, right? He, all through Ephesians, if we read 1 through 6, he, he's talking about everything, that who we are, and what we're called to do. And, and I believe, and I feel like the end of chapter 6 is the application to everything. It's the application to all that he's talking about. When he talked about peace, and he talked about truth, and he talked about Christ, and we go through this list, we cannot forget that our primary calling is not to attack, but to pray. Because there's so much power in prayer. There's so much power that, that can happen. And so what is our keys to success? How do we overcome the enemy? What are we to do? One, we got to ask ourselves, am I living and speaking truth? Am I representing Christ and his righteousness in all that I do? Am I in the word of God daily? Am I allowing the word of God to transform my thinking, my thought process, how I love, how I show grace and mercy? Am I praying? We cannot fail to pray. And is my life dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Because everything that Paul talked about, everything is centered upon Jesus and the empowerment of the Spirit. So I'm challenging church us to pray. And there's going to be great opportunities. Every Wednesday night starting at 7.30, there's a prayer group that meets here. If you have nothing to do and you're like, you know what? I want to pray with the bride of Christ. I want to pray with my church. I want to encourage you to come join us. If you're desiring to pray for our community, we talked about how next week is an opportunity that we get to pray for our community. And, and yesterday, I don't know if you saw it, but the, the National Day of Prayer, the march that happened in Washington, D.C., and all the people that gathered to pray, we recognize that we are insufficient and we need to be totally dependent upon God. The second that we think we're dependent upon ourselves, the second that the enemy is going to win. The enemy is hungrier now than ever. And here's my challenge, church. Let's let him starve. Let's let him starve. Lord, God, you are good. You are faithful. God, and forgive